Curious Conversations About Sex is brought to you by Curious Creatures, who run a variety of workshops on self-development and sexuality in Australia. My name is Rog. Hi folks. Uh, We've got uh, two things coming up today. Firstly, I want to tell you about something we're offering uh, that might be really important to you during these times of social isolation. And secondly is the main part of today's show, which is a recording of a talk I gave at a community gathering called The Weekly Service. Uh, It's all about how Curious Creatures came into being and about ethics and advertising and sex and capitalism. Uh, There's a bit of a deep dive about putting consent into practice and a bit of a rave about dealing with higher and lower libidos in relationship. Uh, So yeah, firstly to the first topic, I'd like to tell you about something that might be really important to you, uh, no matter where you are uh, in this strange little world of ours. Um, In short, uh, this is an online offering from us here at Curious Creatures, and if you're in uh, some form of social isolation, it could be a bit of a game changer for you, uh, or at the worst, just kind of fun. Uh, If you've already logged into one of our online socials, you're welcome to skip ahead about uh, six minutes from now. So yeah, the event I want to tell you about is all about creating a way for you to have uh, some strong socially connective experiences with other people and just uh, notice how different that language is uh, from uh, being socially connected rather than the sort of current constant backdrop of being socially isolated at the moment. Um, Yeah, this event is about actually getting closer to people and getting to know people, uh, even at a time like this. The event I want to tell you about is both a free, unpaid uh, public service sort of a thing, as well as being part of our business activities here. So this is both an ad and also a public service announcement. Curious Creatures is a little bit weird like that, uh, and I admit that I sometimes find it a little confusing too. Anyway, uh, let's go back in time. Uh, It was about 20 years ago, and I think it was me that invented a game that I've always just called Q&A, and I've sort of been playing it obsessively ever since. Uh, The game is deceptively simple in that one person asks a question, which each person in the group answers in turn. Uh, Then it's the next person's turn to ask a question and so forth. There's a bit more to it, especially around how to make it flow well, Um, but that's basically it. It's really simple. For me, and uh, quite a few other people, um, it's good. It lets me connect with people at a level that goes beyond small talk and um, social norms. Uh, I find it lets me connect meaningfully with um, people from other perspectives uh, in a way that tends to bring us together and teach us new things about each other. Uh, It tends to cut through the usual uh, social sort of power dynamics, I guess. I don't love that language, Um, but I'm talking about those situations where, you know, one person tends to talk a lot and others in the group uh, hardly speak at all. Uh, And it also turns what is sometimes kind of a random process of hanging out with other people into something that I find to be a much more consistently high-quality experience 
And it leaves me feeling much more positive about myself uh, and the world around me and the people in it. So, yeah, since uh, stumbling across the formula, uh, I've been slipping it in <laughs> sort of anywhere I can. Uh, I once played this game with uh, four people in the back of a van as we drove to a festival and it made the seven-hour journey feel like about half an hour. Uh, another time I sat on an inflatable toy on a creek uh, drinking beer with a partner and we played the game for, I kid you not, 13 hours straight. Um, it was a riot. We, we just couldn't tear ourselves away from it. Uh, and another time I held the hand of uh, a friend that was dying from cancer. And although we only played the game for about an hour, it was an hour uh, that was uh, free from all of the sort of darkness uh, that was otherwise around at that time. So anyway, uh, fast forward to a few years ago uh, when I was running workshops and uh, I took a punt on building uh, my daggy little game of Q&A into a social event called Curiously Social Creatures, uh, where groups of about five people would play it together at a local pub. And it was going really well and getting really popular. And then there was this little coronavirus thing that popped up recently, uh, which means, and I'm paraphrasing the social distancing uh, guidance wording a little bit here, but essentially no one can do anything anymore, uh, or at least no one can do much that involves physically being near other people, uh, which has in turn put uh, many of us into a state of uh, uh, what you might call social deficit. Um, I was in a bit of despair about that for a little while. Uh, but then started to get really excited about the prospect of being able to make it possible to play Q&A online. I have to admit, at first, I thought it might at best be a tolerable substitute for what it's like to play this game in person. Uh, but after a little bit of tweaking and fiddling with the formula, we've come up with something that people are consistently telling us is better uh, than the in-person version and that's something I agree with. It's just um, it's simpler, it's easier to hear people, you don't have to leave your house, it's more casual, it actually flows better in a lot of cases uh, and I guess yeah on top of that it's just such a shining little oasis of social connection in, in the social desert that we uh, find ourselves at the moment. So yeah we're going to for sure keep running this even after uh, pandemic fears have uh, subsided. And uh, coming back to what I said about Curious Creatures being both a business and a social service, uh, some tickets to this event are free. Uh, we, as a business, donate uh, two free tickets to every session and other people in the community are also donating uh, a ticket or two for others when they buy one for themselves. So if you have been financially impacted by everything that's going on at the moment uh, and you could use a little more in the way of social connection, then please accept some of these free tickets. I know that a lot of us have a lot of guilt around that sort of thing normally, but please get past it and, um, yeah, take a free ticket if you, if you could use one. And for the rest of us, uh, tickets are anyway pretty cheap at uh, $15 or $20 Australian. Currently, we are running a public version of this, which is open to everyone on uh, Sunday and Wednesday evenings. That's in uh, Eastern Standard Time in Australia. 
And we're going to be adding more nights of the week and also more times of the day uh, so that all of you wonderful folks in different time zones can get on things too. I know a lot of you are in the United States, so we're going to make sure we've got uh, evening slots for you coming up. Uh, in addition to the public version, we've got a version for people that have done the Curiosity Workshop. Uh, and then there's a version for people that identify or are interested in uh, non-monogamy or polyamory. Uh, there's a version for people that are interested in kink and BDSM. And a version for folks that identify as queer, non-binary, trans or agendered. And uh, yeah, we'll be adding in more versions as well as word about these socials spread. Uh, so yeah, keep on uh, coming back and checking in at curiouscreatures.biz, B-I-Z, and uh, navigate from there. All right, uh, that's the community service announcement slash advertisement section of things out of the way. Let's get in the main section of uh, today's podcast which is a talk I gave at a great little thing called the Saturday morning service. Uh, I'm guessing that's also on hold at the moment, but um, yeah, here in Melbourne, Australia, that's something that runs on Saturday mornings and it's normally got a guest speaker and some uh, questions and a bit of interaction between the audience uh, and some fun little activities there. Um, also, they bring in a couple of... Um, activities and flavors that you can see are influenced by other spiritual practices, although this particular event certainly doesn't align itself with any form of spirituality or religion. Um, yeah, it's nice having some of those um, elements around connecting with self and connecting with community. So here I am being interviewed by Radhika and Lisa at Saturday Morning Service. Sally. Welcome everybody. It's good to see you all here on a Saturday morning. I'd like to start um, today's talk with an acknowledgement of country. We're on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I'd like to acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And I'd like to welcome anybody who is part of their community to hear today. Today we are going to talk about sex. <laughs> talk about sex positivity, body positivity, what is sexy. And if you're like me, I didn't really know what sex positivity actually meant and I had to look it up. Um, so this is some of the things I found out about sex positivity. It's um, a positive attitude. It's one that looks at human sexuality that regards consensual sexual activity as healthy, pleasurable, um, experimental even. It's an acceptance of the body and it's an acceptance of race, religion, uh, any orientation. It's also an openness to explore the physical, the emotional uh, um, part of sex and the psychological aspects of sex. And it's non-judgmental. And of course, there's also an openness to discussing sex positivity or sex in general. 
sex involves our bodies and exploring our bodies in a very intimate way, which can be really hard if you don't have an overly positive attitude about your body. Mission Australia does an annual youth survey and it shows that body image has been identified as one of the top three personal issues for youth of today. And it's quite concerning because, um, and as the Butterfly Foundation states, people who have a negative body image tend to engage more in body idolisation, nutritional deprivation, self-harm, substance abuse, eating disorders, and also early sexual activity. And with early sexual activity, it's quite concerning because there's a real lack of education around sex in our schools, uh, in society. Sex tells us that we, in order to have sex or be sexy, we need to look a certain way or we need to act a certain way, dress a certain way, or be a certain way. And that's really concerning. How are people meant to learn what is sex, what is normal, what is natural? I mean, sex has been around since time immortal, obviously. Yet there's such a taboo around the topic. And with taboo on one side, where we don't talk about it, you have the other end of the spectrum where there's porn. Not saying that porn, porn is a bad thing, but there's been a huge rise in young women who have been injured due to sexual activity <coughs> and internal injuries, you know, can't have children sometimes because that's the, that's the way that they think sex is done. <laughs> so what can we do about that? You know, it's, it's, for me, it's quite concerning. If, you're anyone, if anyone is like me, may have grown up in a religious, with a religious background, where sex is only allowed when you're married, anyone who's not married can't have sex. And what a terrible thing to teach people, something that is so normal, healthy and natural and you can't have it because there's re this religious dogma that tells you you can't. How are we meant to educate people on what is normal? Again, healthy, if you're, if you're like that, if that's your background. And along with that comes... <coughs> with a religious background, you know, you can't dress in a way that would lead men into temptation. You have to be, it's not about you anymore. It's about how you impact the people around you. And that's, um, surely that's not right. It took me a, a really long time. I only left the church about uh, not even five years ago. And there was still that huge amount of guilt that was involved in insects. You know, am I allowed? And what a terrible thing for people to carry. And so for me, 
it was the start of thinking, well, is there some sort of middle ground? Is there a way that I can navigate, I suppose, my way away from that teaching into something that is so much more healthy and, you know, not taboo anymore? And that's, for me, that's why I wanted Roger to come here because Roger has a a different way of thinking about it that I think is probably much healthier than the way that we've been taught. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Um, So... um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we're really excited to have Roger here Um, and like Lisa I grew up with not much education about sex and definitely no education about pleasure at all Um, I don't think many of us have and real education I think um if we have education in something, um, then obviously that can take us forward. And yet with sex, we don't have this. And yet we're expected to know what to do and we're expected to be good at it. (laughs) And, you know, and there's plenty of mistakes along the way. So, um, and we have education every other part of our life, our ABCs, our maths, learning how to drive, going to university, but nothing as important and as intrinsic to being a human being as sexual education. Um, and when you learn something, it provides a forum for opening up and discussion um, and for questions, which is huge, which is absolutely huge. And it's not taboo, you know. And so for many of us, it's hardly spoken about. And for me, it was shrouded in embarrassment and shame. And in our house, we would only talk about things in the sexual sphere um, if it was like a carry-on movie or Benny Hill, which isn't really great role modelling, to be honest. Um, so where there's a space like what Roger provides, where you can talk openly and honestly, I think it's incredibly important. Um, from there, you can find out that you are normal. And there are many people who feel the same way. And even if you they, they're, they're not they're into different variation forms of sex, like kinkiness, and maybe you're not, that's okay. There's a forum where that is okay. And um, there's a quote here that says, isolation comes from thinking we are weird, when in fact liberation comes from realizing we're not alone. And I think that's incredibly important with the work that Roger provides. Um, So for me, this exploration has, I have formed a deeper connection with myself. Um, and I know that I know what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And so in other areas of my life, I can be authentic. Um, and in all areas of myself, I can be authentic. And so this translates experientially, experientially I can't say that word, especially to all areas of my life. So to work, um, to social uh, engagements like this. I can speak now, whereas before I'd be 
very mute, very much in the background. Oh. <laughs> um, so now, enough about me. <laughs> um, I want to introduce Roger, who's been facilitating workshops for over 15 years. Um, in this particular arena with Curiosity, he's been facilitating for over six years. Um, he's helped thousands of people learn about sex positivity. Um, and he runs a wide range of sexuality workshops, from boundaries to kink to play parties. Um, he also um, hosts the podcasts and he also writes many articles. Um, so I'll let Roger explain his unique way of his unique um, yeah, way of, of how he facilitates workshops. <coughs> and Just so you know, this will be recorded and we have it on the weekly service podcast, but we'll, it will also be on Roger's podcast. So everyone knows. Um, if there's anything that is said that you want take out, taken out, we can definitely, absolutely take that out. And any questions you are, you ask at the end won't be recorded. Oh. So uh, over to Roger. Thank you. <laughs> mm. yeah. um, so did you want me to start a little with how I came to be in this? Oh, yes. yes. Great. So, yes, thank you. Um, I, I loved your introduction. That was accurate. Thanks. And thanks for having me in your space. It's nice to be here. Um, so, yes, we run a variety of workshops. Um, I think you covered the range well. Um, they range there to do with sexuality, psychology, self-development, relationship skills, uh, oftentimes with a, with a connection to sexuality, but not always. Um, and I'd also just, I loved what you said about sex positivity. Can I also throw in that sex positivity includes asexuality? So the choice not to be sexual, like either at this five minute period of your life or for your entire life. Um, that's still totally a sex positive perspective. Uh, yeah. Sometimes people think it means that you've got to run around having sex all the time. <laughs> Some of us have tried and it's just exhausting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I adore running Curious Creatures. It's been about six or seven years. Um, we've taught about ten or 12,000 people, so I, I think we're like the biggest operators in this, this little area. Um, it's one of those things you start doing as a hobby and it sort of grows and becomes a business and then a company and then everything else. Um, but, yeah, like to jump to how I came to be doing this, um, so just content warning, I'm just going to make a glancing reference to suicidal thoughts, not in a lot of graphic detail. Um, so I think for myself, um, I mean, I think... Like, we all have moods, right? We all have our better days and our less better days. And some of us relate to the concept of depression. Uh, I know I certainly used to uh, as a passing experience, like just as something that would come and strike me down from time to time. Um, I don't think of depression in those terms these days. I think of depression more as my ally. So if I don't have the courage to get out of a job or get out of a house or get out of a relationship, then depression is my superpower, super strong uh, ally that'll come and help me with my situation. So I've, I've come to see it very differently now and I, I couldn't be where I am without it. Um, going back into my early 20s, I didn't have that relationship with it. And the one time in my life I've been suicidal to the point of like planning the details of that. Um, I'd been at a party and I remember 
I left that. I was sober or close to it. And I found myself sitting in the in a back alley in Carlton. Just basically sit down to work out the details of how to do this thing. And um, I wound up in a bit of a role-play conversation with the Earth. So obviously it's not the Earth, but I was role-playing myself and a character which we'll call the Earth. Um, and so, yeah, I sort of sat down and went, yeah, radio, great. So, you know, as a as a particularly as a middle class person, there is literally no way to live sustainably on this planet. Um, I'd come from a very strong activist background, uh, mostly environmental things, but also a lot of other social issues. Um, and yeah, it did just seem to me that if I was committed to that cause, um, there was no sustainable way to be on the planet. So that was my starting point. But I was surprised that the earth said, uh, no, actually, Rog, don't do that. <laughs> we have other plans for you. Uh, and so I gently inquired about what those plans were for like the next 45 minutes or so. And uh, one of those questions was, um, I just had a pregnancy scare with a partner in that we discovered that we were pregnant. And um, so I had questions for the Earth around whether Earth wanted me to be a parent. Uh, and I remember the Earth saying no, uh, not directly, but I would like you to take your parental role um, seriously and, and be a parent to uh, people that are already here, uh, but I don't want you to bring one in yourself. Uh, so that made sense to me. And yeah, we spoke about a lot of other things. Um, out of that, I came out of it with, a, with essentially like a contract um, or a deal, if you'd like. I kind of bartered my life. <laughs> uh, and the deal was like, yes, take those thoughts seriously. Like you, you need to, to think about those sustainability questions and you need to think about what you're doing and you do need to justify your existence. If I'm being frank with you, little Rog, <laughs> you do on some level. And so, I mean, I imagine most of you folks uh, being here in a space like this have got a similar idea around wanting to leave the earth just like a tiny little bit better than you found it or to contribute positively or something like that. Um, I see a bunch of you nodding. So, yeah, so for me, that's my contract. Um, that's, what's, that's what's left me going forwards. So how, how has that played out? Mm -hmm. um, it's meant that I've always been... I guess essentially I've, when thinking about jobs and careers and education uh, and even friendship circles, but no, let's talk about jobs. I've always, or I've mostly said first, uh, what's ethical and what's, what's just and, and how can I contribute? And then let's work out a way that we can bolt an income onto the side of that all going well, as opposed to what's gonna be a really good way to make money. And then let's see if we can twist that around to make it sustainable or ethical. So consequently, I've mostly been fairly poor <laughs> um, so a lot of work in the third sector. So you've got business and government, sorry, business and corporate, and you've got government, and then you've got everything else like neighbourhood houses and environment movements and community sector and all of that twenty-two fifty an hour work um, on the social front line. Um, so that's mostly where I've been hanging out the last twenty years, and um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's been it's been rewarding. Uh, it's been interesting. Um, at some stage in that, I was introduced to a stream of psychology called process-oriented psychology, and I saw what these folks were doing with regards to conflict resolution 
and it was obvious to me that in one hour of good facilitation, they were achieving more change in the world than I'd achieved in five years of trying to get arrested and just frankly being obnoxious. <laughs> um, so let me take that back a bit. There's such a crucial, important role that protesting um, plays in our world, but I could see that there was a gap for facilitation in particular. So I started studying that, and I didn't realise that that also meant studying counselling or psychology, because most work that you do with people in groups is just a group version of one-on-one -on -one therapy or one-on-one counselling. So yeah, I studied facilitation with the Group Work Institute of Australia, and then for the last 20 years I've been studying with process-oriented psychology. So I'm just getting above the absolute rank beginner stage within that community. It's quite the long-term shamanic training kind of a process, and it's also very rigorous. Um, yeah, and, and so I enjoyed the power that that gave me to facilitate and collaborate with groups of people rather than necessarily doing the frontline uh, work myself. I found that was a more sustainable use of my energy. And then at some stage in my mid-30s, I made the decision to move into sexuality as my main thing, both personally and professionally. And so obviously when you decide you're going to make sexuality your line of work, uh, obviously sex work is the first thing you think about. And I did think that sex work would feature more heavily in how I apply myself. And it has, it's been awesome. I was a sex worker for like six or seven years or something. And I really miss it and I really like it. And mostly what I did in sex work was take the skills I'd got from counselling and therapy, but apply them in a space where touch is possible. So obviously, well not obviously, but if you're working on something like body image issues or touch or sexuality or recovering from sexual abuse, then being in a therapeutic spot where touch is possible is it's gold. I want to get back to it. Um, and yeah, and then workshops were just kind of a, um, yeah, they're that thing you do because you really want to do it without expecting that there'll be much of a business model there. Uh, a friend and I wanted to share some ideas, essentially just a skill share on kink and a few related topics. Uh, we decided that that worked well and that we enjoyed doing that, so we did another one. And then I added a few more workshops onto the bill. Um, so yeah, now, now I'm running about 20, maybe 25 different workshops. And initially I saw that as just a, maybe like a, mostly a hedonistic or an indulgent sort of a thing. And there's nothing wrong with that, but what's really got me staying in this space is um, I see the self-development and the much deeper social change that comes from it. You touched on it, Radhika, about um, you learn skills in this particular area, say like for instance in boundary setting, and then you wind up having better boundary setting skills everywhere else. So yeah, I'm a real sucker for that. So. Um, yeah, I guess I um, have basically just set a bunch of workshops up around ideas and things that would work for me. They're the workshops that I never got, but I'm pretty weird and I'm pretty quirky and I just find it endlessly surprising that other people like <laughs> what I would like. Um, there must be quite a lot of quirky people in the world. Um, yeah, I think it's hilarious and wonderful. <laughs> so what do you like and how does that come across in your workshops and in in your events that you run. Mm, cool. Um, yeah, a few things. Um, I like boundaries. I like clarity of communication and I like knowing where I stand. <laughs> yeah. um, it's kind of like the process of um, 
like defining, like, like doing a good job of defining the space in which you are playing and then you're completely free to play within that space. Um, someone said it really well the other day. Um, it's like if you were doing interior design or getting the furniture for a room, you wouldn't do that until you got the exact dimensions of the room and worked out where the doors and windows are. And once you've got that, you're free to like be creative in the space. And I think so too it is with sex. Um, so yeah, I, I huge, hugely like boundaries and clarity and communication. Uh, one of the tools I've uh, developed in support of that is these um, cute little things called the consent cards. Um, they really should be called the getting what you want cards. Um, <laughs> I'll just, um, we're, we're going about all right for time. I'll just briefly yeah. read through them. Yeah, great. Um, so these are a bunch of questions you'd ask. There's two versions, by the way. There's a version which is a little more built around kink activities and there's a version which is a little more built around general sexual activities and they're over there on the bookshelf. Please grab one or 100, uh, as is right for you, um, on your way out. Um, and I'll just briefly read through the, the general one. Uh, how are we doing? Like, it's nice to know where your partner's at. Uh, what's our brief description of what we're planning to do? English is this surprisingly inaccurate tool. You think you know what you've agreed to, and then oftentimes it turns out it's something almost entirely different. So, good question. Uh, why is this play interesting to us, and what do we want to get out of it? Uh, like, you think you know what someone wants, like, like what's intriguing about an activity, and you discover that they get their thing is actually t oftentimes totally different. Uh, question four, how could it be even better than we've planned? Uh, that's a little trick to get people to ask for what they really want. Just a little, don't tell anyone. Uh, question five, what are our limits? What's not on offer? Question six, is the pleasure mainly for both, sorry, is the pleasure for both of us or mainly just for one of us? And that question's there because um, uh, sometimes things are more kind of like one-sided than the other, like an activity is mostly for one person. And that's totally fine so long as you both agree on that. It gets awkward if both of you think it's about you and you exclusively, or if both of you are trying to force the other person to have pleasure, pleasure when they're trying to force you to have pleasure. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you looking at me for? <laughs> um, and obviously many activities are in the middle, but yeah, so long as you get clear. Uh, question seven, do we both agree that either of us can stop things at any time for any reason? Just like pro tip, the answer to that is yes. Uh, eight, if something isn't great, do we both commit to asking for what we'd prefer? Again, pro tip, the answer is yes. Question nine, what are our safer sex methods? Question 10, do we agree on using the traffic light safe words of green, orange, and red? Uh, might talk about that more in a moment. Um, question 11, if we've just met, should we let a friend know where we're going? Question 12, if we're not sober, is this an activity we'd agree to if we were sober? <laughs> we've all been there, right? <laughs> Uh, question 13, would we like to proceed and respectfully check any incongruence? So, you know, if someone says yes with their words, but their body language or their tone says something different, then check that out. Um, you also have the risk management plan. Huh? <laughs> 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 very interesting to share. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so obviously that level of communication is not something you'd normally go through uh, if you're just giving a trust, trusted partner a peck on the cheek. But the more you move into adventurous play or play with someone new, then the better are you off going through that kind of level of detail. Um, 
Yeah. So, like, yeah, I like circling back to your question. I like boundaries. I like boundaries a lot. <laughs> I like clarity around what's going on. Um, another thing, I guess, um, like, second thing I like is uh, yes, I like body positivity. Uh, so, I love what you mentioned about this. Um, in our world, we generally work to a model where sexy is defined uh, as uh, like if you are young, if you are thin, and if you are female, then you're much more likely to be perceived. That's, that's what we tend to associate with sexiness. So anytime you look up any kind of sexy event, that is what you'll find by way of the image that they project. And there's a couple of drawbacks to that model. <laughs> just, a, just a couple. Um, one of them is if you don't happen to fit into those descriptions, then you know on some level that you're being excluded or that sex is not meant to be for you, and that kind of sucks because I really passionately disagree with that idea. And the other is that if you do happen to fit those descriptors, then you've got the inverse problem in that it gets to the stage where you can't turn that attention off. So, yeah, lots of drawbacks with that basic idea. So what that looks like in practice is... Um, it was quite challenging to promote a sexuality event without falling back on what people are expecting to see when they go looking for a sexuality event or sexuality workshops. And, you know, like I'm not exactly young, thin or female. It, well, it's debatable, but... Um, so, um, yeah, so like on my website, all the imagery I've used is very carefully chosen to be mostly close-ups so that you sort of can't identify what part of the body you're, you're looking at. And there's a lot of diversity there. There's like fabulous stretch marks and hair. Does anyone remember hair, like body hair? <laughs> Some of you were around in the 70s. Good times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like warts and moles and freckles and tats and um, yeah, yeah. So I think like coming from a business level, it's a strange move because it's not giving people what they necessarily want to see. So I think subconsciously that probably loses a chunk of business. But oh, gee, I feel good about it. <laughs> Um, another thing, yeah, I like um, self-development um, and most of what I teach is around self-development skills by which I mean like working out internally what you want and what you don't want and working out how to communicate that with a partner, like draw them towards what you do want and say no to what you don't want. Um, it's not what a lot of people expect when they turn up for information on sexuality. Most people go, well, you know, what's magic touch? How do you do it? Like, what's that number one thing you do with nipples that always makes someone whatever? And um, those moves just don't exist. Uh, but communication skills and self-development does exist, and they do work on every person. So that's my number one sex move, by the way, communication. Um, so, yeah, I like, I like my self-development. Um, Otherwise, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think gender and equality, I think it's an astoundingly complicated world. I think we often present it in a really oversimplified way, but I don't actually think that helps moving, uh, like solving those issues. So although it's sometimes unpopular, I'm quite happy to speak to the complexity of things. Um, and again, that just comes back to my contract with the earth. I don't feel I would be doing justice, uh, like repeating lines that are popular um, but that I don't actually think are helping or that don't match what I'm seeing on the ground with the, with the folks I'm teaching. Um, and, yeah, I, I like models that are non-competitive. I try not to compete with other people in the field where possible. Um, even just, like, sex and capitalism, 
like I was going to say they don't go together very well. They don't go together at all. They're, <laughs> they're counterindicated. Um, from a capitalist perspective, it's really tempting to say, come to me for this thing, I will solve all of your problems. Um, I will get you and your partner back together and give you the happy times and it will be awesome. Um, and you're setting, in, in doing that, like a lot of people do that when selling sexuality, but when we do that, uh, we're setting the client up for failure because when they turn up and they don't have those magical experiences, uh, some of them are going to be angry at you for really good reasons. Uh, most of them are going to be angry at themselves or come out of it with more of a sense of failure. So I'm incredibly moderate with my language. Like I hope that the most I ever say is that some of this stuff might help some people some of the time. <laughs> and it looks like I'm failing to back my own product, um, but it's a better long-term play, I hope. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, it's all a bit kind of counterintuitive. It's not what people often come for. Um, um, it's, not, it's not like moody and sexy in the, in the way that's normally portrayed. Like I like to think it's kind of more like awkward and daggy and clunky and not taking itself too seriously. Um, but I think that's ultimately more empowering. And it certainly feels better to me. Oh, thank you, Jen. <laughs> Um, before we open up questions, any burning questions you might have, we're just going to have a, a little exercise. And hey there, listener. I'd like to make you a little proposal. I love making this podcast for free because it helps me spread the word about sex positivity. But I could use your help in spreading the word just by sharing this episode if that's not too absurd. For every 10 stories that you listen to, please recommend it to someone that might like it too. <laughs> this is not a real contract, for you got no say. I would if I could frame it some other way. And if sharing's not for you, that's fine. There's nothing to do. Please listen without guilt to this podcast I built. And so we began with a question uh, which was along the lines of uh, someone said, when they're being sexual, they're often not sure or they're confused about whether they're a yes or a no for something. Uh, they'd like to be clearer. Uh, do I have any thoughts on how to clear that up? Love it. Um, it gets me to thinking about the last question on the card around incongruence or like when there are mixed signals present, either within yourself or in what you're seeing in another person. So there's some yes signals or some no signals or just I'm not sure signals. Um, and so like in a perfect world, the perfect question would be, all right, cool. So like what parts of that are potentially a yes and what parts are potentially no? And then you can not do the no things and maybe look at the yes things. Uh, I think in the immediacy of a situation, like say you've just like you're drunk and you've picked someone up at a pub or whatever and you've got mixed signals, you need to play conservatively and cautiously and, and default to that being a no. You don't always have the space and the trust to open that up. But in a longer-term relationship, um, it's, that's a fabulous edge to hang out at. That's almost like the resilient edge in massage or um, uh, uh, just like, yeah, unfolding that a little bit and, and working out what part of that is a yes and what part's a no. Uh, also... 
it can be really fun deliberately if you happen to have the luxury of a friend or a partner who doesn't mind doing interesting things with you. Um, deliberately put yourselves in situations where you're going to be saying no, just like Black Dane, to say no. So just like make offers to each other for five minutes, take it in turns. And no matter what the other person offers you, just say thanks but no thanks and then swap over to the other person just to get that, that muscle memory up. Um, and then do the same of like making offers and say what your honest answer would be, but don't actually do the thing, um, but just like do it as a, as a verbal exercise. I mean, who knows, you might do the thing later, um, but just as a way of getting clearer and sharper and quicker on uh, what's a yes and what's a no. And, and it's also cool on the flip side of it, um, making offers to someone when you know for sure that they're going to say no, or perhaps like thank you, but no thank you, but just to get your, your fitness up around having someone say no to you, because once you realise you're free around that, then you're free around that. Yeah. <laughs> and someone asked the question of whether a yes has to be an enthusiastic yes. I know why the consent movement wants us to see it as things are either binary and digital, either an enthusiastic yes and everything else is a no. I think in reality things are a little more complicated. This is one of those complicated spots. So sometimes if you ask me about something, I might have an answer which is along the lines of, well, like, that doesn't do anything for me, but I like pleasing you. I'm happy to go along with what you'd like, trusting that I might get there in the end or whatever, or it just doesn't matter. So it is actually totally a yes for me, but it doesn't look enthusiastic. Um, but it is congruent. Like, or, 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 yes, yes, while you're learning, I agree with that. Yeah. And also, like, outside of, the, in, outside of being able to explore these issues in this level of complexity, I totally agree with it. It's either an enthusiastic yes or it's a no. Gee, that was a very circular answer, Rog. <laughs> and also, I think, like, in a work context, where you can take this outside, if my boss asks me to do something, um, most of the time I'm not enthusiastic to do it. But I do it, it's my job. <laughs> you know? So, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I love what you said at the start about... Um, going along with something because you don't want to like be impolite or, or be, be unkind to the other person or something like that. It's an incredible irony that that's one of the least kind things you can do because let's, let's say you give someone a reluctant yes and let's say that they fail to pick up on your no signals um, and you go into a particular activity, they're going to be picking up on all of your no signals throughout that. It's like the activity's not going to go that well because you're not really into it and you're not really enjoying it. And it's complicated because... Um, most people will pick up on that and they'll just be like, oh, fuck, am I doing it wrong? What's going on? I thought they said yes. Uh, another drawback is potentially that becomes their training in that they start to learn that that very mixed set of signals from you, I'm not talking about you personally, what, what you said is um, a spectacular issue that I would say 95% of people that I've taught experience, so you're not alone, I'm talking generally. The partner starts to learn that a very mixed set of signals is apparently a yes, and so they actually never learn the skill of just going, oh, this doesn't, whatever I'm doing with you, to you, from you, doesn't actually look like it's going perfectly, therefore I'm going to stop and check it out and see how this could be going better, which is what someone that's got good awareness of all of your signal sets will notice, even if they manage to not notice that when you agreed to the activity. Um, some, that, a good person should be able to pick up on that stuff. Um, but, yeah, it can unfortunately become training. It's a little bit like 
this is moving into contentious territory, but it's a little bit like faking an orgasm. Um, it starts to teach the person that that's what an orgasm looks like. And they go, oh, yeah, well, it just looks really confusing and messy all over the place and it doesn't feel very good afterwards. That's an orgasm. Okay, I'll try and make it happen again next time. <laughs> and it's bad training. <laughs> uh, did I get remotely near your question around consent? A person made a comment. I wish you'd spoken with me about this 25 years ago. I wish I'd stumbled into this stuff 25 years ago too. Um, yeah, my, my little world and my world of workshops is um, hopefully um, avoiding for people a bunch of mistakes and mess that I made in the absence of proper sex education or having any fucking idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks for learning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and someone asked a cool little question here around something like, I struggle with the big difference between how I think something is going to feel and how it actually feels. So a big difference between my mind and my body. Any thoughts on how to reconcile that? Yeah, okay. Um, I know for myself, if I'm offered an activity, which in theory I would be massively into, but if I don't yet know that person really well, or I know them well, but I don't trust how they're gonna go with me calling boundaries on the fly, um, and so uh, like, it makes it very hard for me to totally commit to that activity. Uh, so what I mean by that is um, another little handy thing. Um, I, I mentioned briefly around green, orange, and red, uh, safe words that we've borrowed from the world of kink because that world needs to be very quick and very good with communication. Um, I suggest that everyone should have those safe words in place for everything all the time, not just the sexy stuff. Um, you're going for a drive in the country with a partner um, and uh, they, they take your number one 80s pop hits uh, CD off um, and they put on some like modern shit from like the 90s or whatever. <laughs> oh, I know, right? No, just orange on your choice of music getting towards a red. Um, like you got to call that, people. Um, and like you're, you're over at, uh, at, they come over to your parents' place for Christmas or something like that. It's great if they can just whisper in your ear, I'm getting towards a red on your family. Um, <laughs> and obviously when you're in the middle of the sexing, then green, orange and red are just superb. If you're enjoying something, say green. All that's gonna happen is it's gonna go better because the other person gets more confident and more relaxed and they know that they're playing within consent and within what you like. So it's just about to get better. As soon as it starts to not be better, you've got to be able to call orange and use red as the absolute complete total stop. No matter what, no questions, no discussion, no negotiation, no shaming, nothing but thank you. And what, what do you need now? How can, I, how can I look after you? That's what's meant to happen after red. And if you've got that in place and you trust the partner with all of that stuff and you know they're good around it, then coming back to the start, when they make an offer and it's something you're into, then suddenly you're gonna be, fuck yes! <laughs> As opposed to just like, oh, yes! <laughs> Does that make any sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, great. So um, different people use these words slightly differently and so you do need to calibrate and make sure you're on the same page. Uh, green means I'm good, I'm safe, I'm comfortable, and I would like to continue. Orange means I'm approaching a limit, and at some stage soon, something's going to need to change. So it's like, I have been enjoying this, now maybe it's getting, I'm, I'm like tiring, or I'm just like running out of energy, or it's like getting a bit too full on, or it's not full on enough, or whatever. Um, so yeah, orange is I'm approaching a limit, and something's gonna need, need to change soon. 
Um, generally, that means that the change is going to need to be pretty quickly. Like, like most of the time, that's like, let's change now, but we'll just continue with something else straight away. Um, if you're playing with some kink activities or like you're, you're developing your relationship with pleasure and pain, you might find that you want to deliberately keep on coming back to your orange and hanging out there and be held there because that can be really fun. Um, but most of the time in general sexual activities, orange means a pretty quick change, but we're still playing, we're still going into things. As distinct from red, where no matter what, everything stops and you've, you've just got to like drop out of the activity. Does that make sense? And someone jokingly asked, would red in this context mean stopping the music or stopping the car? <laughs> in that context. Yeah, you kick them out. Yeah, yeah. So it is a... It, it, yeah, red in the context of that trip, like, yeah, red would be like, like stop the car and let's go home. Um, uh, I, I have a partner who does actually genuinely call orange on my choice in music quite often. Um, I've got a little bit of ABBA in my 80s playlist, even though we all know technically ABBA's 70s, but don't, you know, let's not get caught up in details. Um, yeah, so they often call orange on my choice of music and it's okay to keep playing music. I just need to think about their needs a little more. <laughs> Does anyone have any more questions? And a question was asked. Uh, it was a little undefined, but as best I uh, can um, recall it, it's uh, about being asked to do things without actually uh, overtly being asked to do them or properly being asked and therefore sort of never being given the opportunity to say no. Yeah, gee, like... It's a complicated world. I don't know if you're talking about work situations or like family situations or whatever. We do operate, like it's not just that consent plays out really badly in relation to sex. It's that consent plays out really badly everywhere with regards to all things all of the time. Um, every, well not every, a lot of businesses out there are trying to non-consensually get your money. Like they're trying to lie to you about what they're offering so that they can take more from you. If you don't get that, that's commercial rape. So it's everywhere. It's in every context and it takes a phenomenal amount of work to reprogram the whole world. Um, do your best, I guess, at getting quick on recognising within yourself when something actually needs a boundary and do your best over the course of time to reprogram and retrain the people that are around you. And if need be, if you've got a recurrent, persistent boundary pusher, maybe it's possible to work out what you can do to start putting some distance between you and that person. Yep. Yep. We've got some <laughs> 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 yeah. Probably have time for maybe two more questions at a push. And there was a great little question here around the guilt associated with saying no and uh, what can be done with that. Oh, great question. Um, one of my teachers uh, um, would have prefaced this by saying this is all totally in the realm of stereotypes and generalisations, so don't take it seriously. But they described a, one, a time one, when they were fired from a job in Japan it was the most pleasurable experience because rather than saying we don't want your services anymore, 
uh, what was said was, uh, we're going to take you out to dinner to celebrate what a wonderful staff member you've been. It's just been exceptional. We're all going to celebrate. It's about you. It's fantastic. Now, so that's just a little fairy tale story. And from one perspective, in, from my perspective, that's actually really indirect communication. But the idea there is um, find a way to celebrate and make positive what's happened there. So um, the reason I suggested before that you say thank you, but no thank you, rather than just no, I mean, you're right, your human right is to say no, and you have no obligations to the other person. If they're going to have a reaction to it, then that's their situation, and you've got no control over that. Um, but as a as an appreciation of the fact that we're humans and, and a slightly softer tone is sometimes good for world peace, um, <laughs> I suggest that thank you but no thank you um, is uh, a little gentler and easier. And if you want to take that all of the way, take it um, to the direction of um, what's the more politically correct version of the shit sandwich? What's that called again? So the idea is that... Um, compliment sandwich? Compliment sandwich, yeah. Thank you, let's go with that. Yeah. So you've got the... You've got the this is like management speak. Um, you've got the, the information you want to deliver, but you need to bracket it on either side with some bread. That, thus, it's a sandwich. Um, there's also some uh, psychological thinking. Still talking about management. I'll circle back in a second, I promise. Um, there's some management speak that says that for every one piece of let's say, constructive feedback that you give a member of staff, you should be giving them at least five bits of, um, um, you know, warm, enthusiastic, positive reinforcement, making them feel good about themselves and their role. I think so too it is with partners and sex. Uh, you should be giving them at least five rewards and thank yous and you're amazing and I'm really enjoying you for every one bit of, you know, when you do that thing, it actually bothers me a little bit. Um, so that sandwich that we were talking about, is um, <laughs> and is that well, might look something like like? Uh, can I just use you as an example? Let's say you've made me an offer. I'd say thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming to me with the offer. I appreciate that you would do that. I don't think that's right for me just at the moment. But I just want to stress again how much I enjoy you and how much I enjoy hanging out with you and appreciate you bringing me that offer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I see I'm not alone in that. <laughs> so, yeah, and that for me is really totally genuine. I, I absolutely meant everything I said there, and I did manage to get across to you that, no, I'm not into whatever that offer was at this moment, but all those other things are true, and I think they need to be. You can't just fake it. And someone asked about uh, navigating different levels of sexual drive or libido in a long-term relationship. Yes, I have a few ideas and please take all of them with a grain of salt because I know nothing about the situational circumstances you speak of. So these are just some random ideas. Um, I think my main thought is that people have different drive or libido or interest in sex um, when sex is defined as a very particular specific thing. If you broaden the definition of sex and even take traditional sex, so like fucky-fucky sex in particular, if you take that off the table and redefine it as a broader range of experiences that don't depend on some of the standard things, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the standard things, um, but if you broaden the definition, then you start to find that people's libidos and interests and drive is suddenly getting closer or there's, there's more overlap, there's more things that are in common in your, in your Venn diagram. Um, so that's one thought. Another thought is everyone's perfect 
as they are, and maybe a monogamous relationship is not the right one. Uh, like there, there's other forms of relating and other forms of getting sexual needs met um, that don't require having someone to change. And another thought is, hey, uh, yeah, just leave. But there's oftentimes, um, there's no such thing as a perfect partner. No one meets our needs on all levels. And so it is a question of compromise and meeting and flexing a little bit, uh, particularly within monogamy. And I mean that, like, that's totally fine. Uh, I, I think I'm just going to circle back to the first point. Um, and maybe if there's a sense that there's anything that's not going perfectly with sex, then invest in it and work on it um, and see if there's something that needs to be solved. Like if it's like, well, actually our sex isn't really meeting my needs, speaking from the person with lower libido in the moment, um, if there's any sense that it's because my needs aren't getting met or because sex doesn't work for me all that well, then I think invest in it and work on it and have those difficult conversations. Get a sex therapist to sit on a conversation if they're really difficult. Um, Otherwise, if it's just like genuinely not, I totally adore you, I adore our sex, I just don't want a whole lot of it, um, then yeah, I guess it would be a case of exploring other possibilities. Oh, and this was an interesting question. Um, uh, I'll try and try and do it justice. It was along the lines of uh, sort of a comment and a question that there's often a lot of shame and interrogation done of people with lower sex drives, uh, which uh, the person um, thinks is mostly women, uh, and they wondered uh, what, what my thoughts were on the interrogation of what's behind people with higher sex drives, uh, which they think is uh, generally men. Uh, with a caveat around gender generalisations, um, when we talk about it in those terms, that will fit for some people, but it won't fit for others. Um, so I'll speak about it without the gender element because that is inclusive. But yeah, let's talk about higher and lower. Um, yeah, I think particularly in the moment of the exchange, it often has this sense of um, like, come oh, on, why aren't you? Why aren't you into shit? Why aren't you into stuff? What's the what's the problem? Um, at the same time, if you ask people with higher libido what it's like being in relationship, they'll say it's just a constant walk of guilt and rejection and shame and I feel like I'm a disgusting creep the entire time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, um, yeah, no one wins that particular one. Um, oh, humans, good luck with that. <laughs> um, my suggestions are, yeah, talk about it and work on it. Um, I, I, I do think that you mentioned at the start, I forget who, we, we often have a sense that we somehow should magically know about sexuality and all this stuff. Oh, God. When there is almost no training in it and there is almost no good training in it, um, all of these communication skills were expected to be great at it with no information. Um, so I think most of the most of the solution in the moment, I'm thinking most of the solution is in getting skills and education there. So if I could circle back to my story of when I was in my 20s, I came out of that uh, that period of suicidal thoughts. Uh, I said, "Radio Rog, let's do this. Let's get a little bit proactive about life, and you know, because clearly things aren't going spectacularly well." And so I remember, because it's me, I made a list. And on the left was all the qualities I felt I'd been given, uh, which was mostly around my gender socialisation and so forth. And on the right, I made a list of all the qualities I felt that I hadn't been given. And so I very strategically went through and I put a red line 
through some of the qualities I felt that I'd been given that were not useful. Like for instance, I realised I hadn't cried for eight years at 22 years of age. Uh, so I put a line through a few things there and I put a circle around some of the qualities I felt that I hadn't been given, but that would be useful. So one of those was emotional fluidity and one of them was communication skills. And so that explains a little why I wound up doing counselling and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it took some doing. <laughs> I came off a pretty low base. I didn't used to be able to talk in groups at all when it was sharing time. I'd just have to find sign language to say pass. I can't talk. Uh, I seem to have done okay with that now. Um, but yeah, no, you've got to grab that stuff. One more little practical tip. Uh, uh, this is something I do in one of my workshops called Fun Little Sex Games, uh, but others have come up with it before me, so I'm not where it comes from originally. Anyway, it's called the two-minute game, uh, and it's um, deceptively simple. Uh, you work out who's going first. They say what they would like to happen. And if the other person is in agreement, then you start a timer and that's what happens for two minutes. And then you swap and then you swap and then you swap. Take fucky fucky sex off the table. Take traditional sex or even like arousal or even taking your clothes off. Take all of those things off the table. Forget about them. No pressure. Suddenly it becomes very easy, even as a low libido person, to say, yes, I commit to having this fun, quirky, odd, structured little game of intimacy with you. Um, and it's much easier to say yes to that than it is to say, yes, I agree to being aroused and orgasmic and naked and totally energised for you. That's almost impossible to commit to. None of us can do that, especially not in a long-term relationship, for God's sake. Um, but yeah, a two-minute game comes up with like a whole bunch of really quirky, interesting, odd stuff. Like my favourite ones, or just ones that come to mind, is like um, cradle my head in your lap for two minutes and tell me why I'm not a dickhead. <laughs> um, Tickle the soles of my feet with a feather and go no further. Um, using pantomime and shadow puppets in the window, show me what your week has been like for two minutes. And if you want to move it into more intimate physical spaces, then that's great. And the two-minute structure means that you are going to pace each other's arousal curve and foreplay curve impeccably. Um, but, yeah, taking sex off the table um, suddenly gives you an amazing way to interact. Also... The person that has a higher libido, uh, without wanting to genderize this, often is also a little quicker off the mark and a little quicker to finish. Uh, so two-minute game is an incredible gift for them because it gives them a, a nice little way to slow things down and get to enjoy their sexuality more because they're probably frustrated by their speed as well. Alrighty, that's uh, more or less our show for today. I'd just like to run a couple more things past you uh, before we finish up. Uh, firstly, uh, links to all of the things that we've mentioned in today's show are in the show notes for this episode. Uh, if you just look at your device and just kind of like swipe randomly and tap randomly all over the place, anything that looks like uh, a menu or anything like that, uh, then there is a reasonable chance that you'll be able to find the show notes sooner or later there or possibly reformat your device. Um, sorry about that. Uh, secondly, in addition to the online social that we've got up and running, uh, which is obviously online, uh, we've also got two of our other workshop offerings uh, up and running. Uh, the first one is Fun Little Sex Games which has uh, ordinarily been our most popular workshop out of all of them. Uh, 
that's essentially a bunch of structured activities, mostly built around touch, uh, designed to help you and a partner get better at working out what you want and what you don't want, um, how to ask for stuff and how to respond to that. Um, that workshop does require you to have a partner or something that resembles a partner, so someone that you can do touch-based exercises with. So sorry, singles, uh, not, not, not for you on this occasion, but, but soon. And the other workshop is um, Pathways to Your Pleasure, which is uh, for all of us, including singles. Uh, Tess, one of the team here at Curious Creatures, is running that uh, every Monday fortnight, uh, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, that's a workshop which is a really gentle touch-based uh, practice. Uh, so yeah, built around self-pleasuring, but not with any sense of what that's meant to look like or where it's meant to go. So it's very accessible. And also I love that uh, Tess is doing that without cameras on and without microphones on, which creates a whole bunch of privacy and freedom. Um, so yeah, that's just an hour and a half on um, every other Monday. And fun little sex games, uh, Tess and I together are running um, Saturday afternoons every now and again, uh, as usual, check our website. And the last thing I wanted to say before we finish up is just uh, look after yourself, folks. These are pretty wild, extraordinary times we're in, uh, like whether you're living by yourself in isolation or isolated with others, um, all of those things bring you know benefits and challenges. Either way, yeah, please be kind on yourself. Um, we tend to play out internally or with partners a lot of the pressures that we experience from the outside world. Um, it's nice to just like remember that and remember that everything's not always personal and that these are extraordinary circumstances and also that this too shall pass. It's Rog again, just wanting to mention a couple of things. Firstly, a reminder that if anyone comes to mind that might like listening to this episode, please share it with them. There's normally a way to do that from within your podcasting app, or you could just send them a message. Secondly, if you want to know more about Curious Creatures who bring you this podcast, then check out our website. We're at curiouscreatures.biz, B-I-Z, and that's also linked to in the show notes. Uh, the main thing we do is run workshops in sexuality, relationships and self-development and we're based in Australia. Thirdly, by far the best way to stay in touch is to get on our mailing list, which you can do via the website. We think of your email address as a part of you, so we're very careful about how we use it. And lastly, if you're after our famous consent cards, go to consentcard.com there you can see the questions for free or buy one thanks for listening it's really nice having you there